Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. All right. Hello, hello, everyone. Today, we are going to be talking about selenium, one of the most important of the essential nutrients. There's a lot to say about it, but today I'm going through a book about selenium called Selenium as Food and Medicine, What You Need to Know by Dr. Richard Passwaters. Now, this book is from 1980, so that means that all of the references in here are at least 43 years old, which I always find interesting reading these old health books because it blows me away how much we knew so far back. This is not new stuff here. This is how we keep herds of livestock alive, and how pet and zoo animals can reliably breed healthy animals and have a viable industry. It's because we figured the nutrients out for them. And it's basically the same for humans, except human doctors think that we exist in a vacuum, in an entirely different category than all other animals. Although all these animals, they all need the same nutrients, they get the same nutrient deficiency diseases as we do, most of the time we just give them a different name. And medical doctors were never taught any of this because a farmer needs to know this, a zoologist, agriculturalist, or anyone who wants to make money in the pet industry has to know about this, but a doctor doesn't. They get paid regardless of results. So before we jump into this book today, just going to remind you that you can find everything that I do, including the books that I've written, and help publish. Most of them are about health. Hundreds of book reviews. Again, most of them are also about health. All of that is on my website, notusbooks.org. You can also find free audiobook versions of all the books that I've written. And you can find an archive of this podcast there as well. There's extra episodes there that were on the podcast originally before this podcast got taken down. And since we've relaunched, not every episode is up here. So some of the missing ones are in the archive on notusbooks.org. You can download them there for free, and there's actually a special treat for people who listen to the archive version at the end of the episodes. And I am in the health business myself, and in the past I've told you to just reach out to me. If you wanted a health protocol, that's free. We give you a questionnaire, you fill it out, we give you our advice about food, supplements, and anything else that's relevant to your case or your problem. And we make our money on the supplement sales if you do buy them. But now I'm telling you that we have a new contact page 
on our supplement website, wallaxwarriors.ca. That's in the description of this podcast as well. On that contact page, there's a bunch of coaches. You can pick a coach, send them your questionnaire. The questionnaire is also on that same page, and they will give you the advice on how to start. And if you turn out to be a complicated case or you have cancer or something, you're going to be referred to me anyways. If they don't know something, they can ask me. If I don't know something, I ask people who have been doing this longer than me. I'll call Dr. Wallach, who's in this book, by the way, the Selenium book, and we will get you an answer and we'll help you to the best of our ability regardless. Once again, the contact page is in the description. Okay, and let's jump into this book. So I'm not attempting to summarize this book for you. When I read books, I fold the corners of pages and make little marks on things that I find interesting, things that are new to me, and now that I do these deep dive episodes... I'm also thinking what might be good to share with you guys. I might save something because I disagree with it. Don't know. There's many reasons I could save something. So I've got a bunch of marked pages here in this book, and we're just going to go through them. So the first point I saved here is right in the introduction. All of the vitamins we know today, A, B-complex, C, D, E, and K, were isolated and identified from food sources between 1926 and 1948. Most of these vitamins and the essential amino acids of protein were identified between 1930 and 1939, a golden decade of scientific advancement in this century. Right, this is not new stuff. Whereas the first half of this century was spent identifying vitamins, the essential fatty acids, and amino acids, the latter half of this century to date has seen our understanding of our needs for the nutrients we call minerals increase dramatically. So first they figured out the vitamins and the the more complex carbon compounds like amino acids. Then they moved on to figuring out what all the minerals do, including the trace minerals like selenium. Selenium's not a mineral we need very much of. We need micrograms of it. And the maximum dose that everyone's pretty much in agreement about is around 1 to 2 milligrams. So a very, very small amount, but is absolutely critical, as we'll see in the book. Many of the minerals we require are needed in our diets in quantities smaller than some vitamins. Yeah, vitamins and fats, fatty acids, and proteins and amino acids, all those are complex compounds. Minerals are their own thing. They don't have to be attached to a chain of other elements. Until this century, only iron and iodine were known to prevent dietary deficiency diseases. Between 1928 and 1935, copper, manganese, zinc, and cobalt were recognized as necessary nutrients. Recognition of the need for molybdenum came in 1953. In 1957, and in more than a decade of almost continuous research, German-born physician Klaus Schwartz Not Klaus Schwab, everyone's talking about Klaus Schwab these days, World Economic Forum. This is Klaus Schwartz, world-renowned trace mineral researcher. At that time, he was with the National Institutes of Health, 1957, where he identified selenium as a component of an organic constituent he called Factor 3, which prevented the nutritional deficiency disease dietary liver necrosis in rats. So dying liver. Skip a bit forward, my next point I saved. Selenium was named for the goddess of the moon, Selene. But for nutrition, it has been a shining star of the last decade. As a component of glutathione peroxidase, which is uh, widely called the master antioxidant in the body, we produce it in almost every cell in our body, glutathione. And perhaps with other functions, selenium is believed by many people to protect cell membranes, prevent cardiovascular diseases, reduce the incidence of cancer, suppress arthritis, reduce aging, and contribute generally to better health. It is probable that the formal recognition of selenium as a nutrient by the Food and Nutrient Board of the National Research Council, their issuance of dietary guidelines for selenium, recognition of Kishan disease in the People's Republic of China, which we'll talk about, 
as a selenium deficiency disease. Deficiencies of selenium in the diets of the Scandinavian countries and elsewhere may soon result in a significant portion of the world's population receiving selenium supplements. Animals already do. And by the way, selenium was given a uh, dietary recommended daily allowance. I'm not sure when that happened, but it's currently at 55 micrograms per day, which is basically just enough to prevent you from getting a full-blown selenium deficiency disease, like muscular dystrophy, cystic fibrosis, cardiomyopathy, heart attack. So that's even lower than what I would consider the bare minimum. I would consider the bare minimum to be 200 micrograms per day for an adult and a more sensible intake of 400 micrograms per day. In a medical emergency situation, I often recommend up to 1,000 micrograms per day, but I have pretty much as good results. It's hard to compare directly. Obviously, it's not a double-blind study, but I get pretty good results with 400 micrograms per day. I think it's an excellent dose. Skipping forward to the next point I saved, in 1979, Herbert H. Boynton, long associated with research in the selenium area, admitted, it sometimes gets embarrassing to write about the multifarious and seemingly disparate biological roles of selenium. It begins to sound like some turn-of-the-century snake oil rather than what it is, an extremely important, essential, non-metallic trace element that functions effectively in the microgram range. So he's saying, yeah, it's hard to talk about selenium without making it sound like a cure-all, when the reality is it is fundamentally important to the human body, so many different systems can fail in a deficiency state. Next point, one particularly striking study by Dr. Gerhard Schrauser, who's also a world-renowned trace element researcher and was a fan and collaborator of Dr. Wallach. This study by Gerhard Schrauser included a control group of mice of a type that normally develops breast cancer spontaneously. Among the group that did not receive extra selenium, 83% developed breast cancer while those mice whose diets were supplemented by selenium throughout their lives lived longer and developed cancer in only 10% of the cases. This finding is supported by the fact that in selenium-poor New Zealand, the incidence of intestinal cancer in sheep dropped sharply after the sheep received selenium supplements. They're curing sheep cancer here back more than 40 years ago by adding one nutrient to their feeds. Skipping forward, Chinese physicians recently reported that a congestive heart disease, one that affected children especially, was prevalent throughout vast areas of rural China. Since this land is known to be low in selenium, the physicians set up a carefully controlled study. In one commune, the people were allowed to eat their regular diets, but they were also given 1,000 micrograms of selenium each week. Before long, the incidence of this heart problem, called Kishan disease in China, dropped to zero, and children who were already suffering from heart trouble became well. Meanwhile, in a neighboring commune, the children continued to experience a high rate of heart disease. When selenium was added to their diet as well, no new cases developed, and those already afflicted improved markedly. Next, I'm going to uh, read above a point that I saved here for you. The distribution of selenium in the soil varies greatly throughout the world. It varies greatly throughout different countries. I'm adding this here. It varies greatly all over the place. You could be in a so-called high selenium county, but... The land that you're sitting on is still deficient in selenium. It's distributed randomly, and it varies greatly throughout the world, including the United States. Small percentages of this vital substance are present in such heavily populated areas as New England, the rest of the East Coast, the whole East Coast here, deficient in selenium, and the Great Lakes area, that's where I'm from, as well as the Northwest. For the most part, areas which have been glaciated in the prehistoric past tend to have extremely low selenium levels. But soil content is only one part of the problem. 
Even in areas where selenium is present in the soil, it is being made even scarcer because of modern fertilization practices and acid rain. The level of sulfur, which inhibits the absorption of selenium by plants, is being raised by the use of artificial fertilizers that are rich in sulfur. Moreover, heavy deposits of a sulfate in the atmosphere resulting from the burning of coal and oil are further limiting the amount of selenium available from the soil. Extra sulfur in the soil, less selenium available. For example, selenium deficiency became a significant problem for the sheep industry in Oregon only after high sulfur fertilizers were introduced. And this is beyond what I saved here, but this is important. The selenium content of plants tends to reflect the availability of soil selenium. Plants do not require selenium for growth and therefore do not concentrate it. And to paraphrase the rest of this segment, plants don't need very many nutrients in order to thrive. In fact, you can give them just three elements, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. That's NPK fertilizer. And you will maximize your bushels per acre. You'll maximize your growth on a commercial level for the least amount of money. To get beyond that level of growth, you will have to add more minerals which is not cost effective if you're looking at the lowest dollar point that you can get the most crop. All you need is three elements. We need way more than that. We say we need at least 90 essential nutrients. Selenium is one of the important ones, but there are at least 89 others. And there's probably even more than that. Even the way we say 90 essential nutrients is just a catchphrase. Many of those nutrients come in multiple different forms, like vitamin A, vitamin K, vitamin E, omega-3. These are all several different compounds. We just call them one thing. But to maximize lifespan without disease, to me, it's well over 90 essential nutrients that we actually need. And they show some maps here of geographic distribution of selenium in the United States and show an overlap with cancer. That's from Schrauser. It's not an exact overlap, but especially in the Northeast and Great Lakes area, there's a big black spot where there's low selenium and high cancer. Next point I saved, it may be that no cancer cure will work in patients with selenium deficiencies. It has been found recently that cancer patients will suddenly respond to conventional therapy, that is, their tumors start to shrink, once their blood levels of selenium have been brought up to normal with supplements. And he's calling for scientists here to uh, join in this research. And skipping forward to the next point, it was Dr. Schamberger who discovered in 1969 that the blood levels of cancer patients were low in selenium. His laboratory experiments in 1966 had, in fact, indicated the presence of selenium deficiencies in cancer. While the normal level is more than 18 micrograms of selenium per 100 milliliters of blood, many of the cancer patients he studied had only 12 to 15 micrograms, so that's a slight deficiency of a micronutrient. Dr. Schamberger, together with Dr. Frost, studied the relationship between selenium and crops and the cancer incidence in people living in those areas. They found that the lower the level of selenium, the higher the incidence of cancer. Show some tables with those numbers. In another study, Schamberger and C. Willis found that healthy persons between the age of 50 and 71 averaged 21.7 micrograms of selenium per 100 milliliters of blood, whereas cancer patients of the same age range average only 16.2 micrograms per 100 milliliters. The worst cancer cases had the lowest selenium levels, 13 point something or 14 point something. Epidemiological data reveal that Rapid City, South Dakota has the lowest cancer rate of any city in the United States. The citizens of that city also report the highest measured blood selenium levels. Remember, this is 1980 here. I went and checked in on this and uh, saw who is the current longest lived county in America. 
and it was not still Rapid City, South Dakota. It changes all the time. But South Dakota is very commonly on that list, high up in the list, or with several counties on the list of longest lived in America. And we are saying that has something to do with its high selenium levels. Other factors as well, I'm sure. But in Lima, Ohio, where the cancer rate is twice that of Rapid City, the citizens have only 60% of the blood selenium levels of Rapid City. Dr. Schrauser and his colleagues found that in 27 countries surveyed, the cancer death rate was inversely proportional to the dietary intake of selenium in the typical diets of those countries. Cancers involved in the study included tumors of the breast, ovary, colon, rectum, and prostate, as well as leukemia. Another study showed that the blood selenium levels of persons from 17 countries were also inversely proportional to the breast cancer rate. In other words, the less selenium they had, the more breast cancer they had. They talk about several countries here, but next point I saved was in Venezuela, the death rate from cancer of the large intestine is 3.06 per 100,000 people. Venezuela has a high selenium content in its soil, while ours is low, because 3 out of 100,000 is a pretty good rate. Japan, another high selenium country, has less breast cancer and also enjoys a lower lung cancer death rate. That's 12.64 per 100,000 compared to the U.S. rate of 36.86 per 100,000. And he didn't mention, but I'll mention that the Japanese also smoke a lot. They're one of the biggest consumers of cigarettes per capita. And yet, yeah, they have less uh, cancer rates, at least uh, several different cancers. They're doing a lot better than us, and their lifespan is doing a lot better than us. Japan and Hong Kong are both tied for the number one place in worldwide longevity per country right now in 2023. Maybe it does have something to do with their high selenium intake. Next point, animal studies are even more persuasive. Selenium has been found to decrease the incidence of both spontaneous tumors and chemically induced tumors. Although researchers are still struggling to determine the mechanism, selenium has also been shown to have a beneficial effect on hepatic, mammary, and colon tumors. In 1975, Dr. Berger Jansen of the MD Anderson Hospital in Houston presented studies showing the high incidences of colon cancer in low selenium areas. It is interesting to note that Puerto Rico has only 30 to 40% of the colon cancer and breast cancer rate as the U.S. Its people eat an average of 106 grams of animal fat daily, which represents 88% of their total fat intake. Americans have a lower percent of saturated fat and more cancer. And he talks more about fat, but I'm going to move on. Quoting a research center in Texas, the concurrent administration of 4 to 5 parts per million of selenium in the drinking water or in the form of a selenium-enriched yeast, added to the diet resulted in a greater than 50% reduction in the number of colon tumors at the end of the study. An extension of this same approach also provided indication that selenium inhibited the induction of tumors in rats, given a, a carcinogenic thing that makes them have cancer. So a bunch of studies here, another one in Indiana. Recent studies in our laboratory have shown that selenium is capable of retarding the growth of various transplantable tumor cell lines. So they transplant a tumor in, and selenium is capable of retarding the growth of that cancer. The degree of inhibition is dependent upon the form of selenium administered and the quantity given. Makes sense to me. And skipping forward again. The leading cause of heart disease death is myocardial infarction, which is the death of heart tissue due to the lack of blood in a region of the heart. But the point I actually saved is this lack of blood is usually caused by a blood clot, thrombosis, in a coronary artery. Thus, the usual precipitating event that injures the heart is called a coronary thrombosis. And by the way, another 
nutrient in the fat group here. Selenium is fat-soluble. It's not a water-soluble nutrient. It's fat-soluble nutrient. In that same category is omega-3. In omega-3, we do have qualified health claims from the FDA where we can legally say that supplementing with omega-3 essential fatty acid may prevent heart attack, stroke, and various forms of thrombosis, so blood clotting. In other words, the government even recognizes that omega-3 may prevent thrombosis, so that may prevent the heart disease here in the first place. But selenium is also incredibly important in every organ and the heart as well. So obviously this book is going to talk about selenium. I just thought I would mention omega-3. That's another big problem for another episode. We do not get enough omega-3. We get too much omega-6 in our regular diets, even a healthy diet. Next point, animal nutritionists have noted that animals living in selenium-deficient areas developed such calcification of their hearts. The disease was named white muscle disease which is basically muscular dystrophy. That's what we would call it in humans, selenium deficiency. Farmers know that they can prevent and reverse white muscle disease with a shot of selenium to the pregnant goat and the baby goat. Standard practice here, you can buy a selenium shot at your agricultural feed store. And just a few sentences later, animal nutritionists had determined that selenium deficiencies caused nutritional muscular dystrophy in animals. That's white muscle disease. And that animal will die of a heart attack or something similar. It will fail soon after if something isn't done if it has white muscle disease you can tell it's a very disabled animal and i'm not reading every detail here but a similar degeneration of fibers in the heart fibers which cause the heartbeat had been observed in selenium deficiency so fibers in the heart were degenerated in selenium deficiency then of course we've got the role of selenium as an antioxidant which can prevent oxidative damage in the heart itself a lot of oxidation, if not most of it, or almost all of it, happens in the veins. Those veins go to the heart. Damage in the veins, damage to the cells running through the veins can easily get to the heart. So antioxidants are important everywhere in the body, but obviously especially in the heart. Skipping forward, in 1965, Dr. K.O. Godwin found that rats fed a low selenium diet developed abnormal electrocardiograms, irregular heartbeat. Later, he determined that lambs fed low selenium diets also developed abnormal electrocardiograms. Different species, same effect, same deficiency, as well as blood pressure disturbances. He confirmed these findings in animals grazing on low selenium pastures. In addition to the electrocardiogram and blood pressure abnormalities, these animals also had cardiac muscle lesions and circulatory disorders. And next point, Dr. Scott found that selenium-deficient chickens and turkeys quickly developed heart degeneration even before developing skeletal muscle or liver degeneration. I just want to note here that we almost always blame genetics these days, or at least that's what the mainstream does. Oh, it's a genetic heart condition. Oh, it's a genetic liver disorder. Meanwhile, we can see this very easily happens to basically every livestock animal, every zoo animal, every pet animal, if we don't give them enough selenium and other nutrients. They get these defects. They get these same degeneration or fibers, you know, cystic fibrosis, these same lesions or damage, scarring to organs. It's the same in animals as humans. It's just we actually figured it out in animals and fixed it. And no one told human doctors or they didn't listen. So the selenium deficient hearts also typically developed zinker's degeneration and hemorrhages. I don't know what zinker's degeneration is. And since uh, the economic loss that farmers were suffering... The U.S. Department of Agriculture jumped in and told farmers 
to provide animal feed with protective selenium concentrations or to inject young animals with selenium soon after birth. That's in 1968. To prevent economic losses, in other words, to prevent these animals developing diseases and dying and not being able to breed. Even the government had to come in and say, hey, you got to give them selenium. Next point I saved in swine or pigs, the heart destruction brought about by selenium deficiency is called mulberry heart disease. Pigs eating a selenium deficient diet usually die between two and four months of age. Their hearts appear reddish purple, similar to the mulberry. That's why it's called mulberry heart. Because of extensive bleeding from the smaller blood vessels of the heart. And he's you know, linking this to human diseases that have heart muscle damage, of course. Another researcher has found that heart attacks are seven times more prevalent in low selenium areas of Finland than in high selenium areas. He also noticed that the highest cardiac infarction death rates occurred in the two countries, Finland and New Zealand, with the lowest amounts of soil selenium. He then compared the heart attack death rates of working age people, 15 to 64 years, in various Finnish counties. In those counties with 0.1 parts per million selenium in the drinking water, he found one heart attack for every 1,730 residents of working age. In the counties having less than 0.05 ppm, there was one heart attack for every 224 residents of working age. Huge difference. And next point I saved, they're talking about coenzyme Q10, CoQ10, where animal studies have shown that a deficiency of coenzyme Q lessens heart vitality and produces cardiac degenerative lesions. Selenium appears to be the most important nutrient in the control of CoQ levels. CoQ10 is a very popular supplement these days. We have it in our supplements as well. But just like glutathione, they're saying that it doesn't work as well without selenium. In the case of glutathione, selenium is part of the glutathione molecule. So if you're taking a glutathione supplement, you're actually paying for a selenium supplement because if you just took the selenium, your body can actually utilize its own glutathione properly. But back to the text, therefore, adequate selenium is required to produce the necessary CoQ10 required for a healthy heart. And they talked more about that, but I'm skipping forward to the next point. In Rotterdam, Netherlands, there's a researcher who believes that a dietary selenium deficiency results in the inability of the body to produce certain prostaglandins. The resulting deficiency of prostaglandin E2 makes blood stickier and thus more likely to clot. The production of prostaglandin A2 is also diminished, which results in high blood pressure. Dr. Vincent has indicated that a selenium-containing enzyme is required to manufacture several prostaglandins. If a selenium deficiency occurs, not only does a prostaglandin deficiency result, but several compounds that were intended to be incorporated into prostaglandins accumulate in the blood to encourage degeneration of the arteries and induce platelet aggregation. So things go haywire without selenium. He's talking more about animal studies conducted by Dr. James Aiken of Upjohn Laboratories indicate that a prostaglandin released by the kidney may be the body's most important regulator of blood pressure. Selenium levels in the kidneys of patients with high blood pressure are usually lower than in normal controls. Selenium is also essential for the kidney, by the way. All organs need selenium. All glands. Furthermore, Dr. H. Perry of the University of Missouri has found that selenium partly detoxifies or neutralizes the adverse effect of the mineral cadmium. The selenium interferes with cadmium. It also chelates or eliminates mercury. 
toxic heavy metals. Selenium helps to remove them from the body. Finish the sentence here. The mineral cadmium, which induces high blood pressure in laboratory animals. And the last few points here I saved in this chapter. Glutathione protects cellular membranes against attack. Right, it's the body's master antioxidant, glutathione. So it prevents attack by free radicals to the membrane of the cells. The membrane is what lets stuff in and out. You could call it the brain of the cell because you can remove the nucleus of a cell and it'll still live, but you can't remove the membrane. Membrane determines what comes in, what goes out, what happens in the cell. But it can get attacked by free radicals that could cause the cell to proliferate wildly, similar to a cancer, and cause arterial plaque deposits formation. And to back that up, Dr. L.H. Sprinker of the Department of Veterinary Medicine of Oregon State University and his colleagues reported that selenium deficiency in rats produced plaques and abnormal vascularization associated with endothelial degeneration in their arteries. So the walls of the arteries are becoming attacked and degenerating in a state of selenium deficiency. Because with no selenium, you can't utilize your glutathione, can't clean up free radicals, not effectively. And last point I saved here in this chapter, I didn't know, the drug Tolsem, T-O-L-S-E-M, Tolsem, which consists of vitamin E and selenium. They call it a drug when they're using it to treat a disease, by the way. This is the reason so many things are called a disease. I go through all of this in my book, Fake Diseases, by the way, which, of course, again, you can always find on my website, notusbooks.org, and even the free version, the free audio and video book version nonusbooks.org but I talk about this like this is why they call obesity and addiction they call these things diseases so that you can be treated by a licensed medical practitioner that's who insurance pays this is why these words are all set up here who gets paid a licensed medical practitioner aka a doctor gets paid to treat you and whatever he uses to treat you that's called a drug if he told you to go home and eat four bananas, he's treating you with bananas. It's called a drug in that case. The banana is a drug. It's being used to treat a disease by a licensed medical practitioner. So in this case, we got two nutrients, vitamin E and selenium, which are absolutely partner nutrients. They work together. This drug has been given a two-year clinical trial in Mexico. The combination was said to have demonstrated 92% beneficial responses in patients with recurring attacks of angina pectoris, heart pain, with or without myocardial infarction. These responses involved reduction or elimination of angina attacks, increased vigor and work capacity, and improved electrocardiograms. There was no evidence of adverse side effects. So I don't know the whole history of that drug or if it's uh, is even still in the market or ever made it. Who knows? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. 
connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I looked it up and could not find anything on it. But interesting that even pharmaceutical companies recognize the value of nutrients. And yeah, if they put a couple of nutrients together, they can add some other ingredients and patent it and really make some money off of it. Other than that, it's hard to make money off of a generic nutrient. So they're usually not very interested in the research of nutrients. Next point, Dr. Denim Harmon has previously shown that vitamin E and a few synthetic antioxidants extended the average lifespan of mice. And this is all cited, by the way. I'm not reading you the citations. Then he went on to experiment with various selenium compounds that were water-soluble antioxidants. And Dr. Milton Scott showed that selenium was interchangeable with some of the functions of vitamin E. So selenium could fulfill some of vitamin E's roles, even if vitamin E was deficient. Dr. Al Tappel demonstrated in 1964 that several naturally occurring selenium compounds could protect biological systems against radiation. And moving on to the next point, trying to go kind of quick because I saved a lot of points here. As we said at the beginning, it can sound like a panacea. Selenium does so many different things. Each molecule of glutathione contains four atoms of selenium. And since they were talking about aging here, they said, thus, selenium is a key component of the body's defense against accelerated aging because of glutathione. Glutathione goes in and cleans up free radicals, which cause damage that we call aging. Age spots, liver spots, selenium deficiency. Stiff, cracked skin, many fatty nutrient deficiencies are probably going to be present, and selenium is one of those fatty nutrients. Veterinarians have found that arthritic pain and swelling in animals can be substantially alleviated by treating with selenium. They use a product which contains 1,000 micrograms, again, high-end dose, 1 milligram of selenium. That's an adult human dose. And 68 IUs of vitamin E and report dramatic success with this combination of nutrients. The cellular protection afforded by selenium is consistent with an anti-inflammatory effect that could account for reduced pain and disappearance of symptoms. This may result from the fact that inflammatory damage in arthritis is produced in large part by free radicals. If you didn't know, itis just means inflammation, so arthritis, inflammation of the joints. You don't really need to rebuild it, you need to get rid of the source of the inflammation, provide the essential nutrients including selenium. And usually arthritis is pretty easy to deal with, as are the other itises. Any itis, pancreatitis, inflammation of the pancreas, appendicitis, inflammation of the appendix, dermatitis, inflammation of the skin. Very often, selenium is one of the key components to getting rid of those problems. And here they're talking about SOD as well, superoxide dismutase, and how that's also effective at treating the inflammation antioxidants in general, SODs and antioxidant in general, they work very well with arthritis. Next point, another physician at the Selenium Conference, big Selenium Conference in Texas, had already treated patients having traumatic arthritis with selenium and the antioxidant vitamins A, C, and E, successfully relieving the pain in their traumatized joints. So doctors were doing this a long time ago treating patients with traumatic arthritis with selenium and vitamins A, C, and E. Pretty simple recipe, pretty good results. 
Regular doctors are still not interested in this. Skipping forward, in 1972, Soviet researcher Dr. T.F. Bernstein discovered that supplements of selenium plus vitamin E produced more antibodies when a vaccine was given than when the vaccine was given alone. He found that selenium alone was less effective than the combination, and vitamin E alone had no effect on antibody formation. He measured the antibodies produced during the immunization of rabbits with typhoid vaccine. In 1973, studies indicated a similar stimulation of the immune response in mice by selenium. Dr. John Martin and colleagues at Colorado State University found that dietary supplementation with selenium levels at levels above those recommended as nutritional requirements enhanced the primary immune response. So more than the government said you should take enhanced the primary immune response. They measured a number of antibody-forming cells and the levels of antibodies in sheep and the stimulatory effect of selenium was once again independent of vitamin E levels. So vitamin E on its own did not do the trick. In 1978, experiments with dogs confirmed the earlier observations in mice, sheep, and guinea pigs that selenium enhanced the immune response. Doctors Sheffy and Schultz found that antibody production in response to canine distemper infectious hepatitis virus vaccine, this is the vaccine, not the virus itself they're talking about, Antibody production due to the vaccine was dependent upon both selenium and vitamin E status of the dog. Selenium deficiency has been implicated in the once baffling illness called Legionnaire's disease that was first noticed at a Philadelphia convention in 1976. Doctors identified the bacterium in 1977, Legionnaire's disease. The blood from 17 patients was analyzed for several minerals. All 17 patients had low blood levels of selenium while there were no significant findings concerning the other minerals. And he's asking here, since few people have been diagnosed since, could it be that only those who are most selenium deficient can contract the disease? And I would put contract in quotes there, because yeah, it is very likely that it is just a manifestation of an immune problem, not an infectious disease with a virus. I'm on the terrain theory side here. In 1980, scientists started taking advantage of the immune enhancement property of selenium and used selenium supplements to strengthen the protective effect of a malaria vaccine. So even vaccines work better when selenium is involved. I would give most or all of that credit to the selenium itself. Next point, just another point about radiation. In fact, selenium compounds may offer the greatest protection against radiation with superoxide dismutase, or SOD, a close second especially radiation in the sense of free radicals. And in experiments, it was shown that they were indeed powerful radiation protectors. Dr. Tappel outlined three free radical scavenger and repair mechanisms and two non-radical mechanisms by which selenoamino acids protect against radiation. So at least five different ways it protects against radiation. And another doctor in 1969 even confirmed Dr. Tappel's finding and also established that selenoamino acids were themselves very resistant to radiation. And fast forward next point, Dr. Alexandrowitz irradiated two groups of 10 mice. Of the 10 mice supplemented with selenium prior to total body irradiation, eight survived. Only one of the 10 not given selenium prior to irradiation survived more than two weeks. Nine of them survived when they were given selenium. Pretty good. 
Skip forward next point, he's talking about Dr. Joel Wallach has considerable data suggesting that cystic fibrosis is due to a selenium deficiency in the mother. And of course this is just after Dr. Wallach was actually fired from research, he was blackballed from research after he was fired from the Yerkes Primate Research Center in Atlanta, Georgia, because he had discovered the first non-human case of cystic fibrosis. In 1978, this was in a rhesus monkey, uh, several rhesus monkeys, in a colony there at Yerkes. And they celebrated this fact. They publicized it. They had a press release. We found the first non-human cystic fibrosis case. Now we can study cystic fibrosis on an animal. This was great because they thought that cystic fibrosis was only a genetically transmitted disease in humans. And they still believe that. But in 1978, Dr. Wallach showed that it was in other species as well, got those chemistries confirmed, those slides of tissue confirmed that these lesions, the ones on the pancreas and other organs and people we call cystic fibrosis, that's what it is, there's lesions, there's scarring on organs. And pathologically, that's what Dr. Wallach is, was a pathologist doing autopsies on various species, comparing them, determining cause of death, determining pathogenesis of disease, you know, causes of diseases. So he autopsied these baby monkeys, and he said he, kn he knows that's cystic fibrosis, he knows what cystic fibrosis looks like, but he showed it to a bunch of the world's experts who just happened to be in the area, basically across the street, at the CDC and other government organizations. He just showed them and didn't tell them it was from a monkey, and they wrote down their approval, yes, we agree, this is cystic fibrosis, classic cystic fibrosis. And he then told them that it was in a monkey, not in a human. So it was confirmed blind, basically. But then after he came out, after Yerkes, you know, said to the whole world, hey, we found this non-human cystic fibrosis case, Dr. Wallach found it. After Wallach came out and said that this is a creatable disease, this is not a genetic disease, this is because of what you're feeding them. It's because of a nutrient deficiency in the pregnant monkeys. He was fired for that immediately. And before he had unpacked his boxes at his next job, because he got a job easily, he's done the most autopsies on the widest variety of species out of anyone who's ever lived, he's done over 454 species of animals and thousands and thousands of humans for comparison. Many tens of thousands of animals total here. This is a lot of autopsies. This is a lot of experience. So he got hired immediately after, but he got fired from that job. And basically he says that Yerkes told them not to hire him, blackballed him, blacklisted him. So that was having to do with the cystic fibrosis thing. And selenium deficiency is what he said. He said they have... Selenium deficiency because of what you're feeding them, and that's what caused the disease. It's not genetic. They did not want to hear that. And so doctors today still learn that cystic fibrosis is a genetically transmitted disease in humans only. So the next point I saved here, he's talking about this. Dr. Wallach, an expert in comparative pathology, also noted that the autopsied organs looked exactly like organs from selenium and zinc deficient animals. He then checked for possible selenium and zinc deficiencies in mothers having children with cystic fibrosis. So he did a survey of 15 mothers with cystic fibrosis, and those children were being treated at the Grady Memorial Hospital in Atlanta, revealed a total of 48 pregnancies between the 15 mothers, many of which were stormy and complicated. In addition to the cystic fibrosis children, there were 10 miscarriages and multiple birth defects reported in one infant. Two of the mothers in this group were treated during pregnancy to prevent abortion. All of the mothers in this group were employed in busy, responsible jobs and had less than ideal meal programs and dietary habits, and more stress, I would say. 
Eight pregnancies resulted in significant hair loss or notable change in hair character. Features associated with selenium and zinc deficiencies in laboratory animals. These pregnancies were associated with anemia, two with preeclampsia, two with maternal edema, and one mother was treated for a kidney infection during pregnancy. A total of 27 or 56% of the 48 pregnancies produced cystic fibrosis, miscarriages, or congenital birth defects. Over half of the pregnancies had one of these problems, birth defects, miscarriages, cystic fibrosis, which is also a birth defect. This data is consistent with and further supports the proposed theory of an environmental etiology for cystic fibrosis. It is also of interest that identical twins affected with cystic fibrosis usually present with one twin more severely affected than the other, indicating a fetal competition for an essential nutrient or nutrients that are present in limited and less than optimal amounts. And he examined the cystic fibrosis children for selenium levels. He found the value very low. No surprise. And cystic fibrosis also usually occurs more frequently in low selenium areas in the United States and the world as a whole. The diet fed those monkeys back at Yerkes was found to contain excessive polyunsaturated oils, so vegetable oils, added to improve the gloss of their fur. This increased the consumption of antioxidants because they're oxidized, those oils, that's the problem. They're oxidized, they're rancid, so they've got lots of free radicals in them, and you need antioxidants if you're going to consume that vegetable oil, so it depletes antioxidants, including vitamin E and selenium. So this increased the consumption of antioxidants, thus depleting selenium and vitamin E from their mothers. Blood analyses taken routinely during their pregnancies showed very high creatine phosphokinase levels, which is a sign of vitamin E deficiency. In a later report, Dr. Wallach expanded his earlier study. So now he studied 120 families with one or more cystic fibrosis children, conducted by voluntary telephone contact or office interview to accumulate data to support or refute the environmental selenium deficiency theory of cystic fibrosis. So a total of 328 pregnancies here, 120 women, 328 pregnancies were identified, of which 168 were cystic fibrosis children, 51.2%, over half. 34 were miscarriages, 10.36%. 4 were stillborn, 1.2%. Two were SID, sudden infant death syndrome, shortly after birth, 0.6%. Two had hyaline membrane disease, 0.6%. Six had congenital anomalies, 1.8%. And 114 were normal, 34.75%. Not very good odds to be born normal with selenium deficiency. The families interviewed represented 33 states and four Canadian provinces. The cystic fibrosis patients ranged in age from three months to 37 years of age. And there's some stats on you know, when they were diagnosed. 42 cases were diagnosed at birth. Some were diagnosed later. 151 of these cases were associated with prenatal lactation or pre-diagnosis diets rich in polyunsaturated fats, vegetable oils, or fish oils. Could be oxidized. Any oils can be oxidized. Got to be careful with oils. And low in the guidepost foods potentially rich in selenium, which are eggs, whole milk, liver, kidney, unpolished rice, 71 cystic fibrosis infants were fed milk replacers, having a vegetable oil base, lots of baby formulas, have oil in them, vegetable oil, you gotta watch out, gotta make your own formulas, you can reach out to us, contact page in the bio, wallachswarriors.ca, we can tell you how to make a formula that doesn't have oil in it. Skip forward just a bit, 106 parents of cystic fibrosis children had overt symptoms consistent with selenium deficiency i.e. gallbladder diseases, anemia, heart disease, alopecia, which is losing the hair, acromotetria, 
which is losing the color of your hair, the pigment of your hair, exudative diathesis, which is vitamin E deficiency, infertility and miscarriages. That's the parents of these cystic fibrosis children. They themselves had symptoms of selenium deficiency, which, as you see, can be in any organ of the body, any system of the body, basically, because selenium is used in all of the organs. Post-mortem tissue analysis of two infant cystic fibrosis cases outside this study revealed selenium levels of one-tenth of the expected normal values. One mother breastfeeding a three-month-old cystic fibrosis infant had hair selenium value of 25% of the normal expected values. 50 cystic fibrosis patients ranging in age from three months to 37 years of age have participated in a diet program based on a balanced diet free of vegetable oils and with selenium supplementation ranging from 25 to 300 micrograms per day. All participating individuals have displayed markedly improved clinical status normal bowel movement pattern, reduced lung mucus, increased energy and strength, improved skin and hair quality, re-architecturing of barrel chests, reduced finger and toe clubbing, weight gain, increased resistance to infections, and improvement in voice quality. Those are the ones who took Dr. Wallach's advice, did his diet back then in the 80s. And it wasn't until later, by the way, in 1989, when he was able to actually go out to Qishan, China, and autopsy 1,700 children who died of Kishan disease, which they already knew out there was selenium deficiency. And he found that actually 35% of those 1,700, 595 of them, had cystic fibrosis lesions on the pancreas. 35% of the Kishan disease, the people who died from basically heart failure, cardiomyopathy, heart attack, enlarged heart, athlete's heart, genetic heart condition, all these different names, same thing. These children died of that, but 35% of them had cystic fibrosis. And 100% of them had signs of muscular dystrophy. So here, final sign-off of that report from Wallach, that this acquired environmental disease can be produced by a deficiency of selenium, zinc, and riboflavin, and can be aggravated and precipitated by a low vitamin E diet that is rich in polyunsaturated fatty acids. And next point I saved was on the next page. He's just saying that this cystic fibrosis in animals is reversible when treated with selenium. Rather than further test Dr. Wallach's theory, the establishment has chosen to squelch Dr. Wallach's research. Within 24 hours of announcing his findings to his superiors, Dr. Wallach was dismissed from the Yerkes Regional Primate Center in Atlanta. He is at this writing an associate professor in the Department of Nutrition of the National College of Naturopathic Medicine in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, when he was fired, he went and got his naturopathic degree and basically worked there at the same time, the Naturopathic College in Portland. And he's still talking about Wallach here in the next point I saved. Wallach has developed a therapy for cystic fibrosis that has been very effective for many people. Wallach recommends that cystic fibrosis patients should improve their nutrition by eating a green salad daily, lean meats and liver four times a week, eggs for breakfast daily, avoid wheat and replace with rice and potatoes, eat gelatin daily, and drink milk with every meal. I know his... Recommendations have changed since then. This is before he had even graduated from the naturopathic college, but not the worst program in the world for sure. And there's one example here. A two-day-old child in Nebraska was diagnosed as having cystic fibrosis. The diagnosis was confirmed in several clinics over the next five months. The baby girl would just lie still in bed as it was difficult for her to even breathe. Her weight cycled between four and seven pounds. After five months on Dr. Wallach's therapy, however, she weighed 12.3 pounds, 
Her lungs were completely cleared, and she was rolling over and playing with toys. She was again tested for cystic fibrosis with a negative result. Very good. Way to go, Wallach. Next point. In 1962, a Cornell University group demonstrated that selenium and vitamin E could prevent muscular dystrophy in lambs. The researchers conducted experiments over five years wherein they fed selenium and vitamin E deficient diets to pregnant ewes until one month prior to lambing. The ewes and their lambs were then randomly assigned to experimental diets until the lambs were two months old. The selenium and vitamin E deficient diets of mixed hay and raw kidney beans caused 24 to 60% of the lambs to become dystrophic. Supplementation of the ewes diet with either vitamin E or selenium resulted in a marked reduction in the incidence of dystrophy in the lambs, but never completely prevented it at the levels fed. When both selenium and vitamin E were given to the ewes, dystrophy was completely prevented in the lambs. Anyone ever tell this to the Muscular Dystrophy Foundation? Actually, they did, because Dr. Wallach told Jerry Lewis, who ran the telethon for the Muscular Dystrophy Foundation forever, and Jerry Lewis got excited because Wallach told him, hey, we can reverse muscular dystrophy. We do it all the time. Here's a bunch of data. Here's a bunch of case files. And Jerry Lewis told the Muscular Dystrophy Foundation, and they actually fired Jerry Lewis for this. They fired him for it. And they ran the telethon, I think, for a couple of more years before it shut down. But so someone actually did tell the Muscular Dystrophy Foundation that you can prevent and reverse muscular dystrophy in animals, definitely. And in humans, here's a load of case files. And the Muscular Dystrophy Foundation did not want to hear that because they would no longer need to fundraise. All those people would not have a job anymore. And next point I saved. Every chapter here has a little summary. And for some reason, I saved the point in the summary, but not in the book itself. It just says, coenzyme Q cured monkeys of muscular dystrophy. Selenium is needed for the production of coenzyme Q. Next point, remember a lot of points here. Moving as fast as we can. Prolonged selenium deficiency in rats produces cataracts. Skip forward a bit. The researchers also noted that the selenium content of cataract lens was only one-sixth of normal. So the lens itself, when it has a cataract, has less selenium in it than expected. Next point, optimal selenium nutrition improves mitochondrial efficiency. Mitochondria, little engines in your cell, thus maximizes human energy levels. That's why people get more energy on selenium. In recent years, physicians have reported alarming increases in both male impotence and sterility, even among young men. In the absence of psychological or organic problems, Poor nutritional status could be the sole cause. When one is ill or fatigued as a result of malnutrition, the sex drive naturally diminishes. It is difficult to be amorous while sound asleep in front of the television set. The fact that malnutrition has an effect on human reproductive capability is suggested by several research findings. And they're talking about vitamin E here as well, skipping forward. In most cases, the pattern that emerges is consistent, namely that the high selenium regions exhibit a higher birth rate than the medium and low selenium areas. Case for fertility here. I didn't read you the study there, but that's the conclusion. More selenium, higher birth rate. Next point, sperm cells contain relatively high amounts of selenium. Thus, significant amounts may be lost in sexual intercourse. People say that about zinc, too, because zinc is also part of sperm. I've always argued that you should just supplement. The more you ejaculate, the more you should supplement. 
If you sweat, you lose nutrients. If you bleed, you lose nutrients. If you ejaculate, you lose nutrients, and you should replace them. But relatively high amounts of selenium in sperm cells. Interesting. Next point. Selenium that has been purposely made radioactive so that it may be traced throughout the body after it has been eaten shows that 25-40% to 40% of the selenium concentrates in male sex organs. Selenium also concentrates in the female sex organs, but to a lesser extent. Interesting. And a study I didn't save here at Oregon State University determined that selenium-deficient rats produced non-motile sperm. The majority of the sperm cells broke near the tail. And they concluded that this cannot be substituted by either vitamin E or by any other antioxidants. This only happens with selenium deficiency. And all of this and more indicates a major role played by selenium in the testicles. Next point I saved here is a chapter called Selenium Detoxifies Pollutants. So here they're talking about lead. Ancient man had barely a trace of lead in his bones. The body of modern man, however, contains thousands of times more because lead is ubiquitous. The biggest offender is gasoline burning. It causes many disorders from fatigue to mental retardation to death. Dr. Orville Lavander of the Nutrition Institute of the U.S. Department of Agriculture has found that selenium protects against lead poisoning. He noted that vitamin E status is more important than the selenium status in protecting against lead poisoning, but excessive dietary selenium did protect partially against lead poisoning in vitamin E deficient rats. So both vitamin E and selenium are important getting rid of lead. They work together. Cadmium here. Rats develop high blood pressure when given cadmium, but do not do so when equivalent amounts of selenium are given at the same time, according to researchers at the University of Rochester, New York and that selenium is 100 times as effective as zinc at chelating cadmium from the body, coating it and removing it. In 1972, researchers at the University of Wisconsin found that tuna containing mercury was less dangerous to man than previously suspected. They found that selenium, which also concentrates in tuna, reduces the toxicity of ingested mercury. In one study, for example, they found that rats given water containing 10 parts per million mercury died within six weeks, while similar rats that were also given 0.5 parts per million of selenium survived. So that's not even the same amount. They got 10 parts per million of mercury, but only 0.5 parts per million of selenium. And they survived. The researchers suggested that selenium and mercury combine in the blood to reduce the biological availability of both. So selenium sacrificing itself to uh, neutralize the mercury. And in another experiment, injected selenium prevented the mercury from binding in its normal fashion with low molecular weight proteins by diverting it to less critical components. So once again, selenium kind of sacrificing itself to get rid of mercury. And the next point I saved here isn't really relevant. They're talking about Dr. Schwartz again, Klaus Schwartz, the guy who basically discovered selenium. And they're talking about when he showed that uh, tin was also an essential trace element for rats. And that growth-promoting effects could be demonstrated for vanadium. But we'll move on because that's not about selenium. Next point, only a few left here. Calcium and selenium metabolism are interdependent, as seen in the deposition of calcium in white muscle disease. So white muscle disease is a selenium deficiency, but it causes calcium to be deposited all over the place. Stones, bunions calcification, etc. And they're calling for investigation here of selenium plus vitamin E for bursitis and other forms of arthritis and joint disease. 
And I can tell you that those are definitely reversible, but we'd use all 90 essential nutrients, including selenium. Next point, selenium compounds are very volatile. Heat, processing, and cooking diminish the selenium content of foods. The refining of grains can destroy as much as 50 to 75% of the selenium in the whole grains. Boiling may eliminate about 45% of a food's total selenium content. And selenium may be bound to metal contaminants in foods, you know, iron oxide added to cereals and stuff. Selenium may be bound to those metals in foods, thereby preventing assimilation of either. Just like the mercury thing, preventing the body from using either of them. And there was also a suggestion that some foods contain selenium antagonists. And Dr. Milton Scott commented, The very high incidence of selenium deficiency in the eastern part of the United States appears to be due not only to the low selenium content of food, but also to a very low biological availability of selenium in many foods. And in 1971, the National Academy of Sciences estimated that the average consumption of selenium in the United States is around 20 to 60 micrograms per day. And that is not enough. Even though the RDA is right now at 55 micrograms, still, we, we know that's not enough. And there's also a comment here on this page that selenium is not readily available to the body when it is tied up with mercury. We did a mercury fillings episode previously, you can check that out. Big problem, mercury fillings. Any metal amalgam is going to be largely, likely around 50% mercury. And that does cause problems, including wasting your selenium. Next point, in preliminary clinical studies, adults who consumed 1,000 to 2,000 micrograms of selenium, 1 to 2 milligrams, big doses here, in yeast, daily for periods of over a month have failed to show any sign of toxicity. So that is the high end of our recommendation. Right, I've said it, 1,000 micrograms, that's the high end of my recommendation. But there are other people who can go as high as 2,000. And in studies, they failed to show any signs of toxicity. And they talk about different types of selenium here, but I'm just going to tell you that we traditionally in the business, not just us, but this is a widespread trend here, that almost everyone uses selenomethionine, one of the amino acid forms of selenium. And our product, of course, Ultimate Selenium, it has the cofactors in there as well. It's not just selenium by itself. Selenium has many cofactors, as you've heard here with vitamin E, but there are others as well. So our product has vitamins A, C, D3, E, of course, zinc, copper, chromium, and a proprietary blend with L-aspartic acid, elderberry fruit extract, blueberry fruit extract, bilberry fruit extract, and vanadium. That's in the product that we call selenium, ultimate selenium. It's got cofactors, just making the point that nutrients work together. Next point, early toxicity studies conducted by the FDA on a selenium-containing insecticide, selenocide, produced liver tumors not because of the selenium, but because the rat diet was deficient in protein, which allowed cirrhosis to occur. A follow-up article noted that none of the tumors metastasized, which is a requirement for classifying the tumors as malignant. So this is part of the reason that selenium was called a poison before, actually. This is part of the selenium story, I guess. Before it was determined to be essential, it was thought of as a poison. And for a while, even after it was determined to be essential, people still referred to it as the essential poison instead of an essential nutrient. It's an essential poison. But this false contention gains strength by repetition. That's what the book says. So it's just because people repeated this a lot. 
that it became something that everyone thought was true. Just like vitamin A toxicity, you've probably heard that. Vitamin A could be toxic. Well, what they were looking at was explorers who died in the Arctic because they were eating polar bear livers. So the liver concentrates vitamin A, but these polar bears are the top of the food chain, so they concentrate all nutrients, all minerals, all elements, and their livers happen to be high in cadmium. Not all livers are extremely high in cadmium, but a polar bear liver is. So what those explorers actually died of was cadmium poisoning. Their symptoms were cadmium poisoning, not vitamin A. But vitamin A, still today, you'll get a lot of people who think that vitamin A is toxic, and that's really where the idea came from. So here, this insecticide produced liver tumors, but they're saying it was because the diet was deficient in protein, but the, those tumors didn't actually metastasize. They had selenium. Beginning in 1959, the idea that selenium can cause cancer was questioned. And a bunch of people, you know, tried to do a bunch of research and reevaluate that idea. We're not going fully into that, just bringing up the point there that selenium was thought of as a poison, but it was always misguided. And the doses we're using here therapeutically, like I said, they're extremely small. We're talking micrograms, and at most we're talking one or two milligrams. Compare that with what I would consider a high dose of zinc to be 150 milligrams. High dose of selenium, one milligram. Big difference. A little bit goes a long way when it comes to selenium. And the next and last point I saved here is in an appendix here, Appendix A. And they're just talking about radiation here. I thought this was interesting. Even very small amounts of the free radicals formed by the radiolytic decomposition of water are damaging. Their devastatingly lethal effect is indicated by the fact that nuclear radiation sufficient to kill one half of the people exposed to it produces only one free radical in every 10 million molecules exposed. So this radiation is super deadly if it only produces one free radical in every 10 million molecules. So just like a little bit of selenium goes a long way, so does a little bit of free radicals because they can cause a cascading effect where they're trying to steal electrons from other molecules because that's what makes it a free radical. It's a radical because it's got one extra electron or one missing electron, so it's unstable. And it tries to go and bond with other molecules to steal their electrons. But this can cause a cascading effect because then that molecule goes on to try and steal another electron. So all these cells are being damaged in a ricochet cascading effect. And yeah, they're saying that deadly radiation really only is one free radical per 10 million molecules exposed and can damage DNA, and so on. And that's all the book for today. That is the episode, of course. Once again, if you want to know how to utilize the power of selenium and the other essential nutrients, you can always reach out to us. You can pick a coach on our contact page. Send them your questionnaire. The questionnaire is also on the contact page. That is in the description. It's wallachswarriors.ca, after Dr. Wallach here, as mentioned in the book. You send them your questionnaire, we will start you off with our best advice, and you can ask us really about anything related to health, supplements, all of that. Our advice is free, we only make money if you buy the supplements that we recommend, but we'll give you the food advice as well, and anything else relevant to your case. And of course, you can find everything I do, including the books that I've written, the free audiobook versions of those books, other books I've helped publish, hundreds of book reviews, most of them in the health and nutrition subject, and an archive of this podcast, all on notusbooks.org. Once again, notusbooks.org. And those of you who are listening on the archive, 
stick around special treat for you after i sign off for everybody else i appreciate you stay healthy my friends until next time Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.